You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5 and we'll be looking at verses 12 through 15 this morning. And again, it's uh, the story of the Apostle Paul who's meeting with this young, uh, new church, small church in this community, and they are learning what it means to kind of live out the Christian walk. They have been brought up, most of them, in a pagan culture, a society where they would have been taught how to worship other gods and pantheistic, so it would be multiple gods and just choose the one that you want, in essence. And then Jesus comes in by the preaching of Paul and that begins to change their lives. And so they get in a place where they're trying to figure out how does that live out in the real world. And so Paul gets to the place um, where he's starting to tell the, the Thessalonians, this is how you should live as you think about Christ coming back and his impending uh, coming back um, to the world. And so they're, they're asking some questions. It's probably sent through Timothy to come back to Paul. And so Paul writes this letter. So again, where he, he's at today is he's starting to ask, answer a question of how to live in Christian community. And so as he starts to talk about it, I mean, the thing that we do, we need to apply to ourselves. So what are the things that unite us here this morning? Why are we here? And it's the gospel. Because the reality is, is that sin is the problem. Again, we don't need to be nicer people. We don't need to be more moralistic. We need a Savior to save us from our sins. And so that's what reunites us. And so that's where God then calls us to be a family united in Christ. And as we're a family, Paul then exhorts this young, small community to listen, not do things personally at this point. He doesn't say, read your Bibles more. He doesn't say, pray more. Now, he does say that at other places, but that's not what he's talking about in this exhortation. The exhortation that he gives to this community is that we need each other. This needs to be a place where we come and are encouraged and built up, where we're confronted in some ways with our sin. Because that's what it means to be a part of the community. So listen to the word of the Lord as we seek and hear it this morning. 1 Thessalonians 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem their very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to good do, do good to one another and to everyone." This is a reading of God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we need the Holy Spirit to give us the understanding to grasp and understand what it is that you're trying to teach us through this passage. So truly, Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to move in such a way that he enlightens us to the true understanding of what it means to be a Christian community that seeks to love one another that respects and esteems those in authority. And Lord, that in all things we are patient and loving. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that we get in this passage is that we are to respect and esteem godly authority. Now the the question becomes, what is leadership and what are the views on leadership? Now, 
there's two views in regards to my opinion that need to be avoided. These are extreme views. The first one is where you begin to put people in authority in exalted positions, as if you have to bow down to people who you think are greater. Um, that's not the case. It's not the, the pastor or the elders or the leaders in churches should not be elevated to a place where they are something that they're not or they're just right underneath. So it's like Heavenly Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Pastor Jeff. It's not like that. Okay? It never should be. Okay? So it's not a place of exalting them, but it's also not an extreme understanding of dismissing all authority. Again, we live in the United States and we like um, to, to say to other people, who are you to tell me what to do or what to believe? We're a whole nation that was founded on, we don't want to listen to authority. There are state flags. Listen, the state flag of Virginia has a person standing on the throat of a monarch saying, I would rather die than to be ruled by people. So we live in a society that struggles with authority. Now, I also want to say that um, the reality is the ground is flat at the foot of the cross. There is no distinction between men and women. There's no distinction between rich and poor. There's no distinction in regards to color. There's no distinction whatsoever. However, there is a God authority that he gives. And the godly authority comes in this perspective It needs to be shaped by the gospel, which means we don't have authority just to have authority. We have a humble authority. There should be a gentleness in how it's performed. It should be given in a leadership, a servant leadership. Now, again, we want change. People want change. Just people don't want to be the ones to step up and do it. I remember very clearly, very clearly, and I've used this example before. Um, I was teaching a, a senior um, level class at a Christian school out in Colorado when 9-11 happened. And so it was the first period of the day. Um, we've obviously had watched everything that had gone on in New York. And we went in there. We saw, Obviously, everything got changed for that day. And we started talking. And I was asking these students, these 18, 17, 18-year-old kids, um, do we need to do something about this? And 100% of the hands... The whole senior class, 100% of the hands went up. I said, now, who wants to join the military and do something about it? Not one hand. Not one. So they all had opinions. They all wanted things to happen. Just don't ask me to do it. I was talking to, uh, to someone this past week, and there's laws out there that need to, to be taken. And so what you need to do is you need to call your representative to make sure that these laws don't happen and uh, so we are, I was talking to a young person. I said, well, are you going to call the, your uh, uh, representative? No. I said, do, do you understand by not doing something you are casting a vote? Well, what do you mean? I mean, what happened in Germany? Just for people to remain silent, not to stand up and do the things that they're called to do. So again, we, we get this understanding that, again, people want change, but God sometimes calls those to be the catalyst for that change. And so we need to be godly leaders, but we also need to do it in a servant perspective. Listen to this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, but for whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, if, if you're in leadership, any kind of leadership, not just elders, although I think this is speaking specifically to elders, but to any kind of leadership, are you doing it with a mindset of being a servant? Because the work of a leader, and that's the next point, is sometimes very, very hard. It tells you that. It says the labor of the work. See, it's hard work. It's hard work both physically, mentally, emotionally. And it's something that requires time and effort. It requires, again, even if you are, are, are someone who's giving time to be a, a teacher at vacation Bible school, a teacher in Sunday school, how many extra hours do you give to go and make sure that you're prepared so that you're ready to go, that your little craft items are ready, that you're, you've read through the story, you're ready to go to teach? And again, it's, it's recognized. It's, it's the names that are there in your bulletin. I mean, how many names are there? How many hours, extra hours do they give so that they could come and make sure that their instruction was right? That it was, it was given according to the scripture. So it's an understandable that this is a labor. It's a, it's a hard work that uh, we are called to. But then we're also called to shepherd. It says to, to guide. People are given to be over people. And listen, we have to think of it again as the mind of a shepherd. What's the difference between a shepherd and the butcher? The shepherd leads. So the shepherd goes in front of the flock. And as he goes in front of the flock, the sheep know the shepherd and they follow the shepherd. They trust the shepherd. The butcher drives the sheep. Because he drives them to slaughter. Because they don't know the butcher. They're not going to follow the butcher. So he has to smack them from behind to keep them moving forward, to keep them going towards the slaughterhouse. So again, we're, we're, we're called to be shepherds who lead and to guide. And again, it's, again, reminder is we're over people, but we're always under Christ. We're to love and to be servants that way and to lead in ways that people would follow not because they've been pushed to the slaughterhouse. The third thing that the leaders do is they instruct. So again, they go, they study the word of God. They, they disciple. This is part of discipline. What you're doing right now is discipline. You're being discipled because you're being under the word. And so this is something that then it says in the scripture that you are to admonish. We are to encourage you in the word. And so that happens to go forth. And then as these people work in this sense, then how are we to respond to them? Well, the scripture says we're supposed to do two things. We're supposed to respect and esteem them. So the first thing we do is we respect. We give um, highest regard, deep admiration for those that work. We give it with affection. We go on further to esteem, which means to highly regard So again, you can respect someone, but not esteem them. But as we give respect, we're also told for those who are in authority over us, that we are to esteem them in love. It's that putting them up with a fond affection. You want the desires for them to be blessed. 
Everyone knows if you are a leader or a teacher of whatever kind, if you have people that are always giving you trials, always giving you troubles, does that become wearisome? Yes. It's always wearisome. I'm not going to do this. You're not my mom and dad. I'm not going to do this. You're not going to do that. And we live in a day, it used to be when I was growing up, what would happen? If I talked back to my brother's friends and stuff like that, they beat me up. I learned not to talk back. Nowadays, all I can do is call the police. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the police on you. Get out of my yard. I'm going to sit here. I'm digging up your septic system and everything like that. Get out of my yard. You can't do anything to me. I'm on the sidewalk. I'm on the sidewalk. That's it. That's where we're at. So you get to this place where, again, we should respect and esteem our leaders. And when we do that, what happens is we start to build a community, but a community that's spiritual and unified. So again, we need to be spiritual, which means that we are unified in the spirit. So if we're all looking to say, how is God pleased? How is God honored? How is God glorified by what I'm doing? If we're all asking that question and asking for the spirit to lead, then there becomes a bond of peace to one another. Because we're all looking towards the same thing. So we begin to encourage each other. And when that happens, we become unified in regards to our community, which means it's not just lack of dissensions. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times, as I deal with marriages sometimes, uh, the ones that get in trouble are the ones that become just good roommates. And so what happens is they, they quit arguing, they quit fighting with one another. And I'm not saying go and fight with your spouse or with your children or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But they stop dealing with anything. And so their whole MO is, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to come in, I'm just going to do with things, I'm not going to say anything that's going to upset them, I'm not going to do anything to cause any waves or whatever. Then all of a sudden, 20 years into it, 25 years into it, they go, I, I just, there's nothing here. Well, in essence, what you become is you become good roommates. You're no longer spouses. You're no longer parents to children. So, what happens is, is we become, we don't just have just lack of dissension. There are times where there is the confrontation. But the confrontation happens with a loving context. And so we stop the rising and continuation of hindrances. And there's a real unity that happens in Christ. Real unity. Real love. Real forgiveness. And so what that does is it brings us to the second portion of this where he says, okay, you're supposed to love and respect those who are in leadership, but now I urge you, and he says this, brothers. So he switches from them taking care of the the leaders to all the people. And so what he does, he says, hey, I want there to be a deliberate commitment to what? To everyone. It's not just leaders who need to go out there and disciple. It's not just leaders who should be the one unlocking the doors. It isn't just the leaders who should be cutting the pastries. It isn't just the leaders who should be cleaning the bathrooms. It's not the leaders who just show up on work days. It's everyone. Everyone. I was talking to somebody. I got to, um, when I coached high school football, we had a great athlete, Marcus Main. He's now playing uh, for the New York Jets, and he did a day. Um, yesterday for the Palm Bay community, or West Melbourne officially. 
So I got to go and pray before the, the camp got started. And, and so we were talking, and as I was talking, there was another person that came up, a friend, and they just lost their pastor. And so I'm talking to him, and he's just like, well, yeah, man. He goes, it's amazing. Everything that we have to do now, because our paid Christian is gone. And I was just like, yeah, he's like, but it's amazing that now I have to start paying attention. And now I'm calling people. I'm interacting with people. I'm starting to pay attention a little bit more. I'm a little bit more mindful of the things that are going on around me. And I said, maybe if you'd made that connection before, maybe your pastor still be there. Maybe you're right. See, so this understanding that, again, it's all of us. And all of us, is the reality is that the healthy are supposed to help the sick. That's the reality of what the scripture's saying. It's the healthy should help the sick. So we do different things to different people. And so he goes through three different people that are in the church. And the first one he talks about is the unruly. Okay, now if you have in your translation, idle, okay, like it is in mine, I think that's the wrong translation. I think that's the wrong word. It can mean that, but I do believe it means more um, because I think for us, we think of idle as lazy. Okay, that's not the understanding of the scripture here in this passage. I think the better translation is unruly. It's those who are out of step in accord with the rest of the church. Okay, and it's a military term. And so anybody who's been in the military or if you've been in marching band or anything where you've ever been in a place where you had to munch, march in line, that person who gets out of step throws everything off. Okay? So and we even have cadences and some that can be said in the church, some most of them can't be said in the church. To make sure that you do left, right, left, right. And they have songs that they sing and stuff like that. But if you're off and your foot's always hitting, and I'm going to show you, and this is a sad thing that your pastors are showing you this, but to correct it is a hard thing and it's awkward. So if you're just normally walking, you have to do that weird step to get back in line. There we see that? That won't happen again. I didn't fall down either. But you have to get back in step so that the rest of the company does it correctly. Because if not, the unruly begins to affect the church. The the whole song of of, uh, Michael Jackson, One Bad Apple Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch. Yes, it does. It does affect the whole bunch. Because if you don't deal with a rotten apple, it begins to affect the things around them. That's the same thing in the church. When there are people who are unruly, the scripture says we are to admonish them. To admonish them. And what does that mean? To admonish means to put sense in someone's thoughts, in someone's heads. To put sense. And so what happens is that we are to take the the biblical principle of Matthew 18 And so what happens is sometimes this happens privately. And there's a lot of things that happen in this church that you will never be aware of in people's lives. And that's the way it should be. So if things happen in private, they're kept in private. And they're dealt with in private. But there are some things that get so out of line that it has to be dealt with publicly. And so there's the reality that we are to admonish, to put the sense in people's minds about their private life as well as how they live out their lives in public. And so we are to admonish the unruly, 
But there's another type of person, and that person, according to the Scripture, is the faint-hearted. Now, these are people who are discouraged. They are usually joyless and timid. And the weight of life's problems begin to dishearten them. So they have, um, they struggle with physical things going on with themselves, emotional things that are going on spiritually. But the, as the life problems begin to come at them, they become disheartened. And so scripture doesn't say, hey, you know what to do? Go admonish those people. Go yell at them. Go tell them to suck it up. Get back in line. The scripture says, don't do that to them. What are we supposed to do to those people? We're to strengthen them. The word that, that's in the Greek here means to speak alongside. To speak alongside. It's, it's to give confidence. It's those people, as you, as you see them, they're saying, hey, I can't go out into the world. I can't give my gospel you know, story. I, I can't give that... I just worry about what people are going to think. I'm, I'm scared about that. No, you got a great story. Because your story is a part of his story. And all you have to do is just tell people how Jesus has saved your life. And you know what? You can do this. Be of good courage. And we do this. What's funny is we do this in other areas of life. But sometimes we struggle uh, in, our, in our life here. And so I use the example of Jameson and I go out fishing. And we were at a dock. And uh, Jameson gets, was using a net to get little minnows and stuff like that. And uh, lo and behold, he bends over a little too far. <laughs> splash into the water. So he lo- drops the net and stuff like that. And it's starting to flail. Dad, Dad, jump in, jump in. I said, Jameson, are you okay? I'm, I'm okay, Dad, I'm okay. I said, then stand up. <laughs> what? You're shallow enough. Just stand up. Oh. Well, are you going to help me out, Dad? No, there's a ladder right over here. Come on, buddy. You swim under the thing. Come and get on the ladder. He learned. So the faint-hearted gets encouraged, gets instruction, and so he's able to come and to figure out, oh, hey, when I fall into the water, life's not over. I don't have to call the, uh, the rescue swimmer. He can figure it out because he knows. He's experienced it. He's been talked through. I didn't just sit there and go, swim or die. That would have been helpful. So we need to make sure that we're dealing with the unruly the way we're supposed to, the faint-hearted the way we work to. And then there's the third group, and he's known as the weak one. And the weak one is the people that seem to become across as exhausted, but they're also the less mature These are the ones that I think Paul's talking to who are susceptible to sin. Remember, he's saying there are sins that are going on in this church. They're dealing with struggles. And they're they're real life struggles. Okay? There's sexual immorality going on. Um, They've had death of loved ones that they thought were Jesus was going to come back. And now the people have died. What's going on with them? They're being persecuted. They, They are in a pagan society. And they're going around just like we are saying, hey, Jesus is the only way. You know what? People at work don't like to hear that. People out in our country don't like to hear that. They like to hear that we need to be nice to each other and accepting of all things. But when you speak the truth, they don't like to hear that. And so there's persecution. So they were going through persecution. And they lost a leader. Paul was taken from them. So here they are. They're susceptible to things and to the sin nature that's a part of it. So what are we supposed to do? The scripture tells us, help them. 
Don't just speak to them. Don't yell at them. Don't admonish them. Help them. It's to hold on, to give instruction and encouragement. It's to walk through that in every step by step. You got a struggle in regards to um, pornography? There needs to be someone to, to hold on to, to help. Someone who has your, your password. Someone who has an accountability um, app on you. Someone who is there to know all things. It's a help. You don't just say, hey, do better, man. You don't do that. You help. You come holding on, hand in hand, side by side. You help those who are weak. Now again, he tells us that we're supposed to do all this with forbearance. We're supposed to be patient. Because does, does it become tiresome when you tell someone to do something and they don't do it? Okay, we, all right, one time, okay. But you tell them again, hey, don't do this, and they do it again. Well, now that's a little annoying. By the third time, you tell them, don't do it, and now they're doing it again. You're just like, I'm done. God says to us and to Peter, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, see, that's even good for me. And Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. How patient are we with one another? How patient? See, he says we are to forbear with one another. Why? Because it is, listen, an expression of our love to one another. And so we don't become tired of forgiving. We don't become tired of coming alongside. We don't become tired. We're patient. And we definitely don't retaliate evil for evil. And again, I think sometimes in the church, that's part of our struggle. We need to be quicker to go to our knees and ask for forgiveness than to say, yes, but I'm right. Yes, but I'm right. Or forgive me. And let me forgive others. Just the way you forgave me. And then the last thing he tells us to do, which I think is even harder, he says, don't repay evil for evil, be patient. But he, then he says, do good. <laughs> do good to the people that are your greatest struggle. See, the doing good means more than just tolerate them. It's, it's not, okay, I can be in the room with them. It means that we are to look and act like Jesus to one another. As we, as we go through this, how do we become that Christian community? For us, as all of us, we need to, to ask who needs our support? Who needs our patience and forgiveness? And go and offer. Come alongside. Maybe you need to say some hard things to somebody. Maybe you need to be very gentle with someone and give words of encouragement. 
like your pastor needs to. Maybe you need to go to someone's house, meet them at their job, meet them for lunch, and help them. And if you need that, go ask someone. And then please pray. Pray for the leadership. Pray specifically for your elders, for they work, they work hard. Your, your deacons, Sunday school leaders, youth leaders, they work hard, diligent. Respect them, esteem them, love them, give them words of encouragement. But please pray for them. See, when we become that community, again, when we become that honest and open, people out there are going to notice. Here's why. Again, part of my weirdness and upbringing and stuff like that, um, I, don't like, I don't like the emotional things that happen in churches today. Not because I think it's unbiblical. That's what I grew up in. I grew up a mutt. I grew up a little bit of Pentecostal, a little bit of Methodist, a little bit Baptist. Okay, all my friends were Catholic in Cocoa Beach, so I went to the Catholic Mass every once in a while. A little bit of Presbyterian. Okay, and I went to a lot of churches um, that were very emotional. But that was the same time that my parents were going through divorce. And I didn't need to go to another church to whip me up into a frenzy. I needed a real Jesus to walk with me in everyday life. That's what I'm hoping you find here. As a real Jesus who loves you with a real love, who's concerned about your real problems, where you're going to be encouraged and uplifted and held accountable. But more than anything, you find the real Jesus of the Scripture. So please understand, I don't do the lights. I don't allow um, McCartney to play music behind my prayers. I don't do any of that stuff. I can't, I can't out-praise band, Calvary Chapel, whatever. What we provide is we provide a loving environment and a caring environment, and you have men and women in leadership who love you. And I hope more than anything, that's what you hear this morning is the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know it is my desire. You know it's the session's desire. It's the desire of the leadership of this church to be to be a church, to be the bride of Christ that is truly unified in love and patience and kindness. Lord, that we would find a place here where there is admonishment as well as words of encouragement and, Lord, even helping hands. And then, Lord, let us be a praying people, praying for those around us, but praying specifically for those in authority over us. And, Lord, may we give proper respect and esteem them in love 
for the godly authority that you've given to us. And so, Father, please make this a place and a beacon of hope and light and forgiveness and mercy. A place where people can come and find a real Jesus for real problems. For we pray all this in the powerful name of our Savior and all God's people said, Amen.